All right, guys, we got another one for you today. Because today we're talking about sober living. <laughs> hey, guys, welcome back to the new Cut, Light, and Smoke podcast. Actually, nothing's new except for my guests that are in front of me. Again, the Cut, Light, and Smoke podcast is brought to you by ZealCigars.com. Zeal Cigars, your number one place to find your cigar needs online. That's Z-E-A-L-C-I-G-A-R-S. If you can't spell com, I don't know what to tell, I don't know to tell you. I'm sorry. I can't do anything for you. So uh, with that said, guys, I have two guests in the studio today that we had a great conversation lounge a little while ago, and I wanted to bring them on and to tell their story because their story is is really unique and that what they do to help young men really mature and grow uh, is really interesting. So if you don't know this about me yet, I tend to give people nicknames so that I can remember who they are. So in front of me are two guys uh, directly across from me is hipster Ethan. Okay. And uh, he, he looks like a hipster. I'm just going to say he's got the cool tats. He's got the glasses. He's got everything. Hipster Ethan, say hi to the people. Hi. Hi. He, he didn't know what to say at that point. He was just kind of like, I feel like I'm insulted, mildly offended, but it's okay. It's, it's all right. He's only, he's going to get over it. I needed the glasses from birth. You did. I, I, I'm, you know what? <laughs> I'm not judging. I'm just saying. So uh, with that said, and then to my left, I actually have baby Thor. So if you can imagine Thor in the movies from Marvel, um, slightly shrunken down, but with a, actually a better smile, uh, I have Chris Hemworth's lost brother right in front of me right now. So uh, this is called baby Thor Merritt. Merritt, say hi to the people. How's it going? <laughs> all right. All right. So with that said, guys, I just want to jump right into it. So uh, we were, you guys came in probably the first time here. You had saw me on video before. Yeah. Best Cigar Reviews. We have a YouTube channel. Go over and check it out if you can. Subscribe, like, smash that button, all that stuff that everyone else says on YouTube. Anyways, um, you saw the YouTube video and so on and so forth, and you'd never been here. You didn't even know that we were in Phoenix. No. No. I, uh, I saw your YouTube channel probably... Two years ago. Okay. Okay. And I'd kind of been in and out of watching the video sometimes, you know, the, depending on. Um, are, are you a subscriber? I am. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, you can and, subscribe too at home. Just hit the, hit the subscribe <laughs> button. So go ahead. And yeah, I, I looked, I think I went on the website or something one day to actually check out what you guys had going on. And then I saw the, uh, I think there was an address at the bottom and I was like, oh, they're in. They're in Arizona, and then, then I realized they're, like, super local, yeah, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I just so happened to, to decide to actually come in, you know, two years later. Uh-huh. Um, last Wednesday. Last Wednesday. Last Wednesday was our official first time ever meeting each other, mm-hmm. which has been great. So, uh, you, too, can be on a podcast if you have a cool story, and I just meet you, and you happen to like cigars. So, uh, <laughs> that, that can happen to you, too. So, uh, Merritt. Merritt, I just, I just, I met you as well. So, how do you guys know each other? Just, just curious. Um, we actually met at a uh, at a meeting, mm-hmm. uh, HA meeting, and now we actually work together at a sanctuary recovery centers right down the road. So, when you say HA, a lot of people think Hell's Angels. So, I'm guessing <laughs> that means something different. Clarification. A clarification no, on no, HA. It's a uh, a twelve step meeting. Okay, okay, okay. Program, program. Yes. Okay, okay. Now, now I know. Now I know. It's just because you could pass for the Hell's Angels guys. I mean, <laughs> Ethan might have a little bit of trouble, but you know, you and I could ride together. But you know, Ethan could get the sidecar. I'm just, I'm joking, dude. <laughs> I'm just, I'm joking, bro. I'm joking. I'm joking. So, uh, but I, I tease because I love it, it. And what I heard about your story, I thought that was really, really cool. Was your journey, and then how. That journey was so significant to you. You wanted to pour into guy, other guys' lives as well and help them with their journey. Tell me about your journey of addiction and then tell me how you got sober and then tell me 
how you essentially came to do what you do today in uh, with sober living. So I'll start with Ethan, and then we'll go to go to Merritt. So go ahead, Ethan. Well, how, how much are you looking for here? Can you want me to it, just kind of keep it, it in a everything? No, you can tell you can tell anything you want, dude. This is this is uncensored, uncensored. No, I meant I meant time wise. Oh, we got so we got hours, bro. We got. Um, hours. <laughs> Um, so if you give me five minutes, that'd be yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the keynotes on this. So I um, started my journey of addiction. Um, I say 13, 14. Uh, my mom says I was 11. We, we have a little disagreement about that, but it, you know she's probably right. Uh, my memory's a little more shot out than hers. Um, and and what it looked like was was just you know slowly taking those those painkillers those opiates that i that i had stumbled into um at that age that someone had left over from uh surgery or you know dentistry or whatever the case was Mm -hmm. um and then uh you know started smoking and and drinking and i remember the first time i took um any type of mind-altering substance was was the painkiller which is weird most people start with alcohol or weed or whatever Mm -hmm. um and i just felt an overwhelming sense of confidence at school that day you know what I mean at at the time and so that that was just kind of how that started you know in in a nutshell my problem that I see is was a was a low confidence low self-esteem at that time and you know the drugs kind of just made it all better you know it made me confident I was comfortable with who I was at that point um and so that that progresses over time and you know i'm hanging with uh people that are doing the same thing and now they're doing drugs and somehow i seem to always be the worst one out of that group um because i never excelled at anything but i found out that i excelled at doing drugs like i can screw up more than than these people i can do more drugs and and you know do worse in school and now i'm the kid that just doesn't give a shit you know okay um and that kind of became my identity um started getting arrested. I got kicked out of school for selling weed like first semester of freshman year of high school. Okay. Uh, and, and that was just, I mean, that was the beginning. I've been in and out of correctional facilities since I was about 14. Um, and the same time I've been in and out of 12 step rooms. Um, okay. Since I was about 14, you know, mm-hmm. uh, cause my parents were on it quick. Um, I ended up in Arizona. Um, I went to jail one time and, and they gave me a form of alternative sentencing and my mom being a great mom pushed to, to find out, um, if there's any way I can go into treatment instead of doing the remainder of the, whatever the sentence I was there for six months. They wanted me to sign in 18 more months, um, to go to prison or whatever. And they said, well, you can sign a plea to where you can go to treatment. And she fought to have me, um, find a treatment center in Arizona that would work with the courts and they accepted it we did it i got released from jail and had to be in arizona within 24 hours um and that is you know in in short how i ended up here um in and out of jails out here uh been homeless on the streets out here in phoenix and uh i went to prison and about six months before i got out of prison i was like you know what i should probably do something a tad bit different you know because there's drugs in prison and there's, you mm-hmm. know, all kinds of stuff you sure. can get into. Um, and, and I was into all that. Um, so six months, I was like, I should probably stop, you know. And 
that's something I did. I knew what to do because I'd been in and out of rooms and treatments. And, and so I started going to the 12-step meetings there. I started hanging out with the people that weren't doing drugs. I started working out, and that was my focus. Um, and so when I got out, I actually um, didn't have anywhere to go. My parents were out here, but I had no place to go to, like to parole to. I didn't have an address. They probably shouldn't have let me out, whatever, but they did. Um, and my mom was real big. <clears throat> in a support group called POW, which is Parents of Addicted Loved Ones. And mm-hmm. she called her friend back home, and that person called somebody out here who got me in touch with who is currently my boss. Uh, his name's Joey, and he had sober livings. And so I went in, you know, he set me up. He took me to a meeting. We, You know, I got set up to go into his sober living, stayed at his sober living, um, became an assistant house manager of the sober living, I worked at his auto shop down the road, and eventually I, I moved out of the sober living um, and, you know, moved in with who was my girlfriend at the time and started, um, I, I found a job in treatment. I knew I wanted to go and work in a treatment. I said, I got to give it a shot. Sponsor didn't think I would like it. He said, but you got to try it, and and so I did. Um and I tried it, and I mean that was it. You know, I, I hadn't had a different job since. I've I've worked in this field. Um, how, how many guys would you say you've worked with? Off the top of your head, it, like in the program or in treatment? Because treatment's a whole both. I mean, treatment I've encountered. I'm sure over a thousand, but I don't know if I'd label it like. So you've personally impacted the lives of a thousand men. I think that would be a far stretch, but maybe. Yeah, um, that's pretty cool. Well, Mayor Chicken said, yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, so that that's kind of, you know, what happened. And, and, you know, that led me into going back um, and working for Joey again, full cycle here. You know, he picked me up, helped me mm-hmm. out. I went to a sober living, and now looping back around, I'm working for him. Um, and I'm married now, I, you know, married. I have two wonderful stepchildren. I have a Doberman, have a house, you know, cars and a job. Like, um, so, so tell, tell me real quick, shout out the place you work for. Tell, yeah, tell them the so, website and everything. So Sanctuary Recovery Centers, um, you know, we, we have all levels of care except for detox. And, and so our thing is if you, if you reach out to us, you call us. Um, if we can't help you or we don't have room, you know, we, we still strive to make sure that we can help find you a place to go one mm-hmm. way or another, whether you're homeless, whether you have no insurance, you have okay. great insurance, bad insurance. Um, number is 602-795-8445 and sanctuaryrc.com. Okay. And it's also uh, at sanctuaryrc for, we, we do have a TikTok presence okay. as well. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So Merritt, let me, let me get a little bit of your story real quick. So I'm going to come back to some things you said and I want to unpack some stuff, but tell me a little bit of your story. Uh, my story is pretty similar to Ethan's. Mm-hmm. I'm probably around like 14. I started uh, smoking weed and immediately liked it. Became like a huge pothead. It was an everyday thing and uh, very quickly started getting in trouble. And okay. After that, I spent probably the next 15 years of my life in and out of jail, uh, rehab, and eventually prison, and uh, progressing from one drug to the next. Uh, started trying painkillers, loved them right away, and after a few years, I was doing heroin and uh, was getting in trouble, going to county jail for a while, a couple months at a time, six months at a time, get out on probation, um, 
didn't really put any effort in. I'd stay clean for a little while, hit a few meetings, and then I would decide I, I can use again. And uh, I would use like once, twice, pass a few drug tests, and then eventually I would continue using and not stopping, and I would go back to jail again. And uh, that went on for like 10 years or so. And uh, a few rehab stays in there, got put on drug court. And then um, I guess eventually I was, on, uh, I was on drug court and I was not doing well. And I decided to get honest with my probation officer. And I called her and told her I, I relapsed. Um, I've been using heroin for the last few days. I'm going to go to the treatment. And uh, she was not happy and wasn't really open to the idea and was like, no, no, you need to come in to our office the next day and then we'll talk about it. And I had already screwed up a few times. This wasn't my first, uh, wasn't going to be my first dirty drug test. And I was wearing an ankle monitor and I, I knew when I went into the office, they were going to lock me up. So uh, I said, okay, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow or whatever day it was. And then I immediately cut off my ankle monitor and uh, went down to the city and continued to use in uh, Philadelphia. That's where I'm from, right okay. outside the city. Okay. And uh, eventually it was getting bad after a few weeks, and my parents said, if they, if we buy you a plane ticket, will you go to Arizona and go to rehab? And I just wanted to get, I didn't want to get arrested back in Pennsylvania for the charges I had and the probation, so I said absolutely, and uh, went out to rehab in Arizona, continued to screw up, got kicked out of rehab, uh, got kicked out of another rehab, uh, two more sober livings after that. And continued to use on and off, discovered uh, meth, which I had never tried before, but it's very popular in Arizona. Yeah. Uh, didn't really like it that much, but it was everywhere, and I just kept using it. And um, eventually I, I caught charges and went to prison in Arizona for a little over two years. Uh, they have You can get early release in prison. Um, they offer it to most people, but the condition was I had to parole to Arizona and I didn't have any family or anywhere to go in Arizona. And uh, the uh, the counselor in the prison had found a place to go. And I called home and told him, like, this is where I'm paroling to. And then I called home a few days later. And uh, my family was like, oh, we looked that place up online. It it sounds terrible. It has horror reviews. You don't want to go there. And I was like, well, it's either get out and parole to this address or stay in prison for probably another six months. What should I do? And um, a couple of days went by. I called my family again. And they said, we, we found this place online that had really good reviews. It's a sober living. See if you can parole there. And uh, the place happened to be Sanctuary Sober Livings. So I ended up paroling to there. Um, paroled to there was almost two years ago now. And uh, I, when I was in prison, as Ethan said, there's lots of drugs in prison. I was still screwing up my life in prison, getting high in there making hooch and things to sell for drugs and uh, continue using the whole time I was in prison. And when I got out and paroled there, um, I, I don't know what changed. I had gotten older and uh, I suddenly felt like I had wasted like half of my life and didn't want to continue to do this. So uh, my sobriety date is actually April 6th, mm -hmm. which is uh, the day after I moved into Sanctuary Sober Living. And uh, I don't know, from there I, I started to turn my life around slowly. I held a job the same job for a long time, which I've never done before. I usually uh, usually quit or end up going to jail. And uh, I, I just, I made meetings, I got a sponsor and I continued to stay clean throughout everything. And now I actually manage that sober living house. Okay, okay. So I have a couple of questions. So you've both been to prison. Mm -hmm. So are, do you both, are you both felons then? Oh yeah. 
Both fel- felonies? Yeah, okay. Super well, duper felons. Yep, super duper felons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, I, just, I just wanted to say, I just wanted to, I wanted to clarify that. In a couple states. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> also, what was prison like? What was prison like? I mean, as, as far as what you can remember, you know, I, I before I before I answer that, I'll well, tell you, this is where I'm going. So, how long have you been sober? How long have you been sober now? So, how many years, how many days, months, whatever? If you think about it. So I've been. Ethan, go ahead. A, what are we creeping up on? A little, little over three years. A little over three years. Okay. Yeah. What about you, Merritt? Uh, a little over a year and a half. A little over a year and a half. Okay. Okay. So three years and a year and a half. Okay. So that rock bottom you hit, that rock bottom. What causes that? I guess that's the question that I, that I have because because this is foreign territory for me. To be quite frank, I've never really been addicted to anything outside of. Good, good cigars and great whiskey, you know, um, and the kind of whiskey I buy is just quite frankly way too <laughs> expensive to <laughs> just drink, you know, licentiously. Um, so th- what what was the rock bottom where, where you're just you're you're basically enough is enough and you're like, I need to change. What what was that for you, Ethan? So, you know, for for me, it it probably wasn't I, I can't even view it as like um like a rock bottom, kind of like what, you know, the, the stereotypical rock bottom that people would think of where it's like, oh, no, I lost, you know, my wife and my car and right. my house and my job. And because I, I did do that. I was married mm-hmm. previously and I'd lost all that, that whatever, good job, you know, wife, car that I loved. I mean, literally all of it within like. Well, you said you were, you were homeless for a while here on the streets. I was homeless out here. Yeah. How long was that? Uh. And it's really hard to say. So for the most part, I was doing my best to stay awake on meth the whole time. So the perception of time, pretty off. But I'm going to guess it was around like six months or so that was actually homeless out here. um, With the exception of going in and out of jails, you know, too. Where where would you sleep then? Like, where would you sleep? Would you sleep? Well, the goal was to not sleep. Okay. At the time. Okay. It was much easier that way. Um, But. At the time, there was a uh, there was a car wash off the 17 in Bell. Okay. Right across the street from the Denny's. Yeah. That car wash uh, didn't care if we slept, like, in their covered park, and they had little outlets. So if you're homeless, finding a, an electrical outlet to charge your phone, biggest deal in the fucking world. So, so here's the thing. <laughs> here's the question. So homeless people have phones. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Always. Okay. I mean, they're probably stolen or they're government phones or yeah. whatever or just Wi-Fi. But, yeah, they have. I mean, okay. Okay. For sure. Always. Maybe four of them. Okay. You know. <laughs> All right. And and so they would the car wash would let us sleep there as long as we cleaned up in the morning and whatever. So that's what we did, you know. Um, so when I say homeless, I mean, it's, it's not like a lot of people say homeless and they're like, yeah, I was sleeping in like a hotel or like on a friend's couch. And mm-hmm. no, like I was, like I was homeless. You know, well, you saw on the streets. So I'm thinking, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. physically, like yeah. I'm sleeping on concrete, concrete. if I'm asleep, okay. you know, and my stuff's getting stolen overnight while I'm asleep. You know what I mean? Wow, like okay. I'm homeless. Um, and any, so, any violence on the streets, like being homeless or, um, Merrick there, got animated for a second. So he I want to hear that animated. story. So, okay. <laughs> there, there the, is. So the bike story. Yeah. Get, um, tell me the bike story. I want that. Speak into the mic so everybody can hear you. Yeah. So it went, not everything was cool for the longest time, mm-hmm. it seemed like. And then at some point, um, there was, a, I, I got, in short, I got a bike stolen. All right. And so this is not some big superhero story on my part. I didn't, 
I didn't come out like a big man on top of this one. So um, there was a guy who I had known kind of, and we were hanging out and whatever, homeless hanging out, which means you're really just doing drugs together, right? Right. And I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I ended up going to meet this guy, and we weren't, I think I thought that we were cooler than what we were at the time. Um, we may, I, I don't know what was going on. There are a lot of drugs involved. Do you know what I mean? Sure, sure, sure. So I'm on a bike and I go down to meet this guy and I see him coming up and he, and this was amazing. He throws his bike into my bike while what appeared to be from my perception, jumping off of his bike and like Superman punching me off my bike. Merritt loves this story. And you got Superman punched off a bike. I got Superman punched off a bike. And this guy's a professional bike thief. He yeah, stole was, a bike while riding a bike. Wow. Wow. Got away. Yeah. It was quick, too. Yeah. And I was in such disbelief at what the fuck just happened. Yeah. I was like, how, I mean, that was the coolest shit I've ever seen. Right. Right. You got to kind of respect the game at that point. <laughs> you know You're what I like, mean? I'm kind of going my bike got stolen. That was a great punch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there was to an extent. Um, I had got one of the times I was in a hotel room, like I managed to get jumped in the hotel room, which was cool. Um, and all my stuff taken people. I didn't even know someone else let them in the door. It was a whole thing. Dude, it sucks. Like out there being homeless, like Phoenix, it just sucks. Okay. Okay. And so you would think that would have been like the rock bottom. Right. To to loop back to the question. Superman punch rock bottom. Yeah. I get it. You would think. Yeah. Um, and there are, you know, there were like one or two times I tried reaching out to a different treatment facility um, that I went to back when I had like good insurance, which uh-huh. I didn't have at this point. Okay. Uh, and they were like, no, you did horrible when you were here. Um, you, you know, you're, <laughs> we're not scholars. So if, you, so, back if, in. so if you, if you don't do good at a treatment facility, word probably gets around to other guys well, of, of how, you, okay. So what happens is it, and it's, Typically, if you leave a treatment facility, like uh-huh. against medical advice or against clinical advice, okay. AMA or ACA for short, a lot of them have like a rule to where like it's like 30 days before you can come back to this one. Like you're not just going to leave and then come back. Um, and the thing was, I left on like bad terms, Yeah, you know, with two of them, like one, I just like up and left, um, left all my stuff. Like I just left. And then another one, like. I actively like got high and like had drugs and <clears throat> the whole thing, you know, and, and to top that off, I didn't have insurance anymore. And these were like nicer treatment facilities. Right. Right. And so they, they weren't having it. Um, but those like moments of me trying to reach out, they were just quick. No one could help me immediately. And I was like, cool, whatever. I'm back to my own thing. Um, so going to prison that, that moment, the last time I used, wasn't like some big extravagant like shitty event i was already having a shitty time like i'm in prison you know what i mean like right right you're not going to get like arrested Mm -hmm. you know you're not going to lose anything for the most part except maybe like a bag of keefe coffee or like your tv in prison i don't know you know what i mean so i was doing all right like there's not a whole lot else to left to take away um but something just clicked you know what I mean? It mm-hmm. just clicked. I was like, this isn't going to work out. Right, like, if right. I keep using, I'm going to come back, which earlier in my... Kind of came uh, to your senses. You are kind of yeah. like, okay. I mean, like, at one point, though, I was, like, perfectly cool with it. I was like, cool, I'm just going to continue to go to jail and prison or whatever and get arrested. Mm-hmm. It's my mm-hmm. life. That's fine. Um, but something clicked. My thinking changed. And I was like, 
I should try not doing that. And um, so did you, of a, it wasn't like an aha moment. You did know? you come off? Did you come off? Come off the drugs uh, cold turkey, or did, was there a way that you weaned off, or is there you know? So for the most part, every time I've come off any substances, it's it's usually been in jail. So that's cold turkey. They're not helping you out. Right. Right. Okay. And then in prison, it's it's worse because you get hooked on heroin in prison, and there's no like out here. If you're homeless, you're on heroin, and you get dope sick, which sucks, by the way. If you've never done it, it sucks. And you can usually say, well, I could probably go steal something mm-hmm. and sell it or rob somebody or lie and say that, hey, you know what, I got you next week. You can't do that in prison like that. I mean, mm-hmm. you might be able to, like, get a few fronts for a little while. Yeah. But then, that, I mean, you're not getting much further than that. So if you don't have dope anymore and you're dope sick, like, you're sitting through it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you just, uh, yeah, I got used to that cold turkey, to answer your question. Okay. Uh, okay. Almost every single time. So, so Merritt, tell me your tell me your rock bottom, where you were just, you came to your senses, you're, you're sick, sick and tired of being sick and tired. What, 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 what was that moment for you like? It's hard to say. I feel like I've had a lot of rock bottoms where I thought, like, this is, this is bad as it gets, and uh, then I continued to make it worse for myself. I mean, the one time that I, this time when I turned it around, um, I guess things were actually getting better at the time. I had just gotten released from prison, and uh, I was coming up on my 30th birthday, and something about that, I, I suddenly felt old and felt like I had wasted my whole life, and when I was younger, I don't know, I thought, like, by the time I was 30, I was going to have a house, I was going to be driving, like, a Ferrari, mm-hmm. like, things were going to be completely different than what they were, and uh, at this point, I'm getting out of prison Last time I had a car, it had gotten repossessed, and I had, like, I had nothing going for me. I'm living on the opposite side of the country is where I'm from and didn't really know anybody, and I'm looking for, like, a job, any job, a minimum wage job, and it just it was not at all where I had envisioned my life being at that point. Mm-hmm. And I figured, like, I need to – all the times in the past I thought – I would get a little clean time and I would think like I, I can do this recreationally like I can use once in a while and have fun and something like finally clicked that like I've tried that hundreds thousands of times and it it does not work for me and I'm not going to try that again like I'm I'm actually going to do something different this time and see where my life goes if I stay clean. So let me ask let me ask you a question did prison change because I mean you, you, there's tons of different things about prison right now. I know many guys have gone to prison and, and, and never really <clears throat> interviewed them about it, but I've had conversations about it and everything like that. What's the one thing about prison that sucked horribly? I'll start with you, Merritt. Prison, at least in Arizona, on a minimum security yard, is not as bad as you would think at all. I mean, it sucks. Like, it's lonely. You don't have your family. Like, you can't do what you want, but... uh it is not at all what I expected. There's, there's a volleyball court. There's a softball field. Like, they have Xbox. Like, you can order food on commissary. You have your own personal TV. There's drugs. People are making alcohol. What? It is not at all what I had expected. So, so better to be in prison than homeless. I mean, I would rather be homeless, but I'm sure some mm-hmm. people view it that way. Okay. Because I feel like homeless, you have a, uh, you might not utilize it, but you have outs. Like, you can do something in prison. It's like you're not doing anything until your date comes up. Okay. Okay. 
What was prison like for you, Ethan? I I mean, yeah, it was real similar. I mean, I was on a medium uh, custody yard. And, I mean, the same layout. I, I mean, I had money on my books, so I had, you know, I, I had a every, you know, you could buy a TV. I had a TV, and um, when I wasn't using, I, I had, you know, food uh, in my locker and coffee. And um, But, you know, I, I think the worst part is what – could happen not so much like what happened during you know our stay or anything like that because I wasn't there long I was you know in prison this time uh, two years you know what I mean Mm. Uh, which in prison terms isn't long you know and so I had just missed um, the big riot that they had so we were locked down for like a good portion of of my stay so I I mean I, I think probably the the most difficult thing which also kind of worked out as a blessing is, is that all my family was in Indiana. Right. So I never had a visit or anything like that. And that, that sucks, you know, not being able to see your family is, is hard, but at the same time, if I feel like if you're not seeing them and you're not having it and you're just kind of pretty much everything's revolving around your life in prison, you Mm -hmm. know, I feel like it makes the time go faster, you know? So let me let me ask a, a couple more questions. Now, now, what do you do for work now, Merit? Like, what do you do now for work? And, I mean, you... you You're going to plug that wheel business? Yeah, plug, plug your wheel business. Do, do whatever you need to. But <laughs> So you come out, you've been sober o- over a year, and how does it feel comparatively? How does it, how does it feel to be, to be sober and go through life versus constantly high and go through life? Now it feels great, and I love it. Um, at first, it like it was scary. It was unknown right. to me. I, I didn't know what I was doing, but uh, I, I mean, I love it now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you? It's 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 great. Um, I've been able to accomplish things that I never would have thought I would have been able to get to at this point. You know. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, let me inter- let me interject something. I'm asking you questions that everybody asks, anyways. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you other questions that are more important. What did this do with your relationship with your parents? Which one of us are you asking first? Uh, go. I don't care. <laughs> Hip- hipster Ethan, go. Um, I you know so. It's it's obviously it, it's helped. It's made them very happy. You know, um, but they were always, even when I was homeless, even when I was using, it's it's not like they weren't talking to me. They were okay. just not enabling me. You okay. know what I mean? So they would have never, like, sent me money or anything like that, you know, mm-hmm. when I was homeless. But they would still talk. So it's helped. I mean, I know it's put, um, they always worried that I was going to die, mm-hmm. obviously. I've, I've had a few overdoses in my life and shouldn't be here today. I shouldn't. Uh, brothers and sisters? I have one half brother. One half brother? Okay. He is not a drug addict. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, what about your parents, Merritt? It's actually, it's absolutely helped the relationship. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they were always supportive before, but uh, I feel like there were times where they had probably thought about giving up. Like I had been, uh, since I was like 14 or 15, I 
had spent my entire life just destroying my life and wasting time. And uh, I, I think they, uh, I don't know, they're very happy with where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. I kind of worry that they still might not entirely believe it and might be waiting for uh, like the other shoe to drop. Because I mean, I've I've got over a year and a half now, but uh, I've spent a lot more than that using. So is there is there a longer time than you that you've been sober than a year? before or is this the longest no i don't think i've ever even made it like six months without like abusing something alcohol or something okay okay what what uh do you have any do you have any contact with old friends that led you down that that path if you would of drugs alcohol or what have you what what things got you addicted do you still have contact with any of those old friends um, for me, n- no, uh, you know, I think there's one or two that are on my, on my Facebook still, mm-hmm. um, from my, you know, I, I believe they are sober now. Um, I don't mm-hmm. really talk to them and the other ones, you know, sadly enough, for the most part, I've had quite a few pass away, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, in, in short, no, I, when I got out of prison, I, a new Facebook, new friend base, new, for the most part, everything, new life, you know, okay. and I did that. And it's not that I don't, that, you know, some people think if you quit hanging out with them, they think, oh, you, you think you're better than us now, you know, and, and that's not the case. It's just, for me, it's not conducive to what I'm trying to do to hang out with Correct. somebody not, you know, yeah. so I try to hang out with people that are heading in the direction that I want to head in and Correct. doing the things that I want to do yeah. and accomplishing the goals that I want to accomplish. What about you, Merritt? Any, any contact with old friends or anything else like that? Do you still get in contact with anybody that you'd party with back in the day? And you know, very few. Very um, few. Okay. None that are like still living that life. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a few friends that have also gotten clean. And I talk to them once in a while, and then uh, I don't know a couple friends that were never really drug addicts or anything, mm-hmm. and I I talk to them occasionally. But uh, the majority of people. I, I didn't even tell anybody I was coming to Arizona because I was kind of running from a case and uh, have not contacted them since. And it's been uh, people that, like, I was good friends with at the time I haven't talked to in, like, five or more years. Okay, okay, okay. So <clears throat> with all with all that said, what's something that you really want to do in life that you feel the drugs and the alcohol or whatever else you're addicted to stole from you in your past? Like that I could still do now? Or, mm-hmm. Something um, you want to do? I'd be like financially stable and... Uh, okay. I don't know. I mean, now I'm, I'm working toward that. Like I have a savings. Mm-hmm. I uh, somewhat started my own business and making money. And before I always had these ideas in my head that I was going to... I was going to get rich somehow and I was going to have like a Ferrari and all that. But uh, then I'm down to $10 and I'm literally spending it on a bag of heroin. I'm filling up my gas tank with change that I found... Mm, mm, okay it's for me it's it's real similar i mean i i think from a young age i always thought that i wanted to be able to own my own business in some fashion or whatever that looked like you know um and that's never been a real i may have thought that was a reality when i was high on meth because i was feeling real ambitious but it's never been a you know a possibility until you know this point in my life like i 
I feel like there's a chance somewhere in the next five to 10 years mm-hmm. that could happen. You know what that looks like. I don't know, you know, but that's, that's definitely one of the things or owning a house. That was it. And I did that one. That's my biggest, I'm sorry. That's my biggest accomplishment in my life that I never thought I'd be able to do it. Okay. Since I was like 14 years old, I was like, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to own a fucking house. Cause I keep getting high. I did it. You know what I mean? Um, and, and that's, that's unbelievable to me. I still can't believe that. So let me, let me ask this. How has, how has your recovery impacted your love life in particular? Like girls involved. Is there, is there a, a Mrs. Mrs. Thor? Is there a, a miss hipster? Is there, I'm, I'm sure there is. Cause I think you told me you're married, right? Okay. So there is. What about you, Thor? No, just, uh, I don't know. Flying solo focusing yep. on me. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's fair, dude. That's fair. <laughs> So he is single, ladies. Again, that email is cutlightsmokepodcast, all one word, at gmail.com, cutlightsmokepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, for your cu- questions, comments, or insults about uh, our, our podcast here today. So uh, so <clears throat> let's, say, let's say that I had, um, I came to you and I have, I have a buddy. All right, I have a buddy who's, you know, a friend. And I generally mean a friend, not me. Like, I generally mean a friend, yeah. <laughs> I got a friend that has this problem. But I, but I genuinely have a friend who is uh, addicted, you know, let, let's, start, let's say pain pills. He's on, he's on pain pills and alcohol and parties. And, you know, he's, he's my age. I mean, you guys are significantly younger than I am. You're 30, 31? Yeah. Yeah. Merritt, you're 31. Ethan, you're 28? 28 or 27. 28 or 27. <laughs> he's got to figure it out again. Okay. Um, so, uh, and let me just say something about what you said. I'm, I'm just going to, we're going to go down this rabbit trail real quick. Guys that don't know their birthday... People think it's like a dumb, really dumb thing. Okay, but it's not. It's actually a real selfless thing. Like you're you're so busy pouring out to everybody else, your time flies, and so you're not thinking through yourself and your birthday and stuff like that. So, and, and I and I I'm gonna get I'm gonna get on a soapbox real quick because I can't stand sometimes this kind of stuff. There's people that celebrate half birthdays. Have you heard this before? <laughs> Have you guys heard this? I, I don't. It sounds any like my anymore. generation. Okay. Is what would you say? So it sounds like my generation it's, for sure. <laughs> it's one of those. It's one of those things I don't get. I really don't get. Like when people, you know, somebody. I I, I heard it first when I came here uh, to Arizona because I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio originally. And so when I came out here to Arizona, someone told me it's their half birthday and I should celebrate with them. I'm like, you're half what? And they're like, it's my half birthday. And I'm like, what? I mean, so just the opposite of you being selfless, forgetting because you're serving the community. They're so obsessed with themselves. They count the half year that they were born. I mean, are, it just it's, are they yeah. alcoholics or I don't know. They, they, any excuse to they, to say, hey, let's celebrate. Yeah, I know. You know. I don't know what. Maybe more gifts. Maybe more attention. Who knows? You know. So, if you're a half birthday celebrator, I hope that you are gross, grossly offended by my words, and you want to send me an email dictating how badly uh, you need to celebrate um, your half birthday so anyways um and i get that there's probably reasons out there for people that you know i'll disagree with anyways but the uh the, the reality is so 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 you're, you're doing you Merritt. you're doing you you're focusing on you and everything like that let me ask you this so you, you you take out the drugs and alcohol but there are still hard days there are still hard days and there are still just there's just shitty days bro there just isn't life i mean i, I i've never been you know, a drug addict or an alcoholic or anything like that, but I have shitty days. What do you do to cope now? Because I imagine it was so easy to go back to that, right? You know, and you're not doing that now, and there's a hard no against that wall. So how do you decompress? I mean, you're smoking a good cigar, which is kind of cool. I mean, I'd definitely say 
smoke cigars. I keeps me in business. Uh, and they're smoking the Cuban imposter, by the way. They can be found at zealcigars.com. Uh, like that plug? Just worked it in there. It's kind of nice. Um, but uh, so here, here's, here's, here's my question. How do you, how do you de- decompress from the day then? Is there, is there the exercise or do something else or you just focus on your business and that's just fun for you and you, you enjoy it? Tell me how. I'm focusing on business is fun for me, but okay. um, there's absolutely bad days. Um, mm-hmm. I think I finally, it took me a long time, but I think I finally realized that using is not going to help for more than like a couple hours. Like it's right. not going to make it any better. And now I, I just try to, uh, excuse me, surround myself with like positive people. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Come do things like this. Like, yeah, dude. Do other fun activities that yeah. I'm not going to regret the next day. The podcast is an activity. You know, we made more rooms for activities, if you we would. We did. So, that, which is which is kind of fun. But I, I think that I, I think that that's a that's a really good thing to say. Throwing yourself into your work, doing stuff that's positive, surrounding. And the reason I asked that question about your your you know the people you used to party with or people who used to be involved with you, there's a there's a Bible verse I hold true in my life that bad bad company corrupts good character. We know that. Um, but sometimes there's there's really hard decisions you have to make with people you really really love or even like and even respect that are bad for you. And you know they are, and they're not going to get you anywhere in life. And they're not. Gonna, and it's not that you use them to get someplace, but they're not going to encourage you. It's just, it's going to be a, it's going to be kind of a weight, if you would. So dropping those friendships, dropping those relationships, and everything else like that. Um, some self select out, which is good, you know. And sometimes you have to have hard hard discussions with people where you're like, we're just we're just not <clears throat> we're just not in proximity anymore. You know, we're not in proximity. I'm not in your life. You're not in my life. You know. And, I love your band, but that's kind of kind of how it goes. So, um, but I imagine there's times that whoops, I imagine there's times that you guys have have severed relationships because you know that's not good for you. Like you know that that relationship isn't healthy if you would. And you're like, boom, this is severed. And sometimes that can hurt. You know, if you would personally on that. Tell me about a time that you had to do that. You don't tell me the person or anything like that or or who it was, but you know when you had to do that, how did you do it? Okay, and then. How did it, how did it, how did you recover from it? Um. So, I, you know, I I think with me, it's not um. The last time I've really had to do that was was coming out of prison, and and that wasn't that wasn't difficult for okay. the most part because okay. I just, you know, everybody that I thought were my friends, you, you know, one thing about getting arrested or getting locked up, like you you usually figure out that you don't actually have friends, you know. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's what happened. You know, I, I just, it was immediate. Like I didn't sever them. Like it was made that, that decision was made for me for the most part by me, you know, going to prison Mm -hmm. and I just didn't talk to him again. And that really was fine. Like I'm cool with that. And I, I don't think I've had to really do that, um, since coming out. I mean, getting, you know, we have people that we know that'll, relapse or whatever and if they're continuing active addiction like we still try to you know let them know that we're here for them you know but and we try to help them but like the anybody else like I haven't been around somebody that I really have to separate myself from you know anytime in the last man really four years five years you know okay what about you Merritt basically the same situation I mean my behavior is kind of uh Made that choice had, for you. Yeah, had kind of ruined the okay. relationships yeah. anyway. And then I I disappeared for a few years, and I just never contacted them again after. And, I mean, uh, 
Okay. I guess there have been other times where people mm-hmm. that I may have been friends with were using and I wasn't, but uh, everybody pretty much knows what it is at that point. Like you're doing the complete opposite of what I'm trying to do with my life. Like mm-hmm. what we have no reason to hang out. Like we're not going to do anything together. There's, there's not really much to be done at all. Right, 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 right. Well, next time, just tell me it's a stupid question because you guys don't have any good answers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just playing with you. Um, but so if you were to, if you were to give advice to somebody who's currently listening to this and they are addicted, okay. And they're, they're, they're looking at two guys who, who are in recovery and, and doing quite well for themselves. What advice would you give? I mean, it, it simply just to reach out, you know, um, you have to give yourself a chance, you know, and, and a lot of people, they, they might not feel like, like they deserve it or that they, you know, have a chance of staying sober or anything like that, you know, but, um, the, the reality is that, that they do, you know, um, and they need to, to at least give themselves a shot and see what it's about. You know, if you dedicate a year, um, of your life into trying to stay sober and, and to do what's suggested um, by, by those who have stayed sober, you'd be amazed at, at what kind of outcome you can see in that year, you know, and if it's not for you at that point, then, um, you know, by all means go back out, you know, try again and see if that using gets any better, but I, I, I'm pretty confident that it won't, you know? Um, so that, I mean, that's, that's my advice. But you merit. I think Ethan pretty much nailed it. I mean, all I can really add is just don't give up. I mean, it took me like half of my life to finally get some clean time. So just no matter what, don't give up and keep trying. And uh, it's not it's not going to be easy at first. Like it's going to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but uh, it does get better. Like if you see other people around that have some clean time, you'll see like their life is getting better every day. Right, right. Well, guys, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Do me a favor and plug your plug plug your uh, sober living house again, and uh, so people can know the con- the contact number and website and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, Sanctuary Recovery Centers, um, all levels of care except for detox. We do have sober living as well, men and women. Uh, it's sanctuaryrc.com, and the phone number is 602-795-8445. So if you happen to happen to you know come pod, uh, across this podcast and by any means, shape, and form where you're struggling with anything that we talked about today, please call those phone numbers. Please check out the website. Um, and these guys can really help you out. They're top-notch guys, to be honest with you. I might tease a little bit here and there, but super impressed and very, very, very excited about the work they're doing with uh, young men and young women around uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And you know, Merritt has rims for sale, too. And and, and Merritt, <laughs> Merritt can get you the deal on the wheels. Do you have a website for that or anything like that? I do not, but you, uh, not? you can follow me on Instagram at okay. uh, M-E-R-R-I-T-T-W-I-L-L-I-T-S. Looking to buy any wheels, rims, tires, or you just want to race a uh, clapped out BMW 335, <laughs> hit me up. That's awesome, dude. That's awesome. Well, again, this has been the Cut, Light, and Smoke podcast. I want to thank my guests, both Hipster Ethan and Baby Thor Merritt, for being here today. And uh, absolutely had a great time with you guys. Thank you guys so much for coming. Again, the Cut, Light, and Smoke podcast is Presented by ZealCigars.com. Zeal Cigars, the number one place to find your cigars online. And with that said, guys, we're out of here like last year. Peace. Peace.